0: This is Bonjour Chai, the Jewish geography should absolutely be an Olympic sport edition. I'm Avi Feingold in Montreal, and I'm here with Alana Zakon in Vancouver. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's episode, we are talking Olympics, of course, with the hosts of the Menschwarmers podcast, Jamie Hirsch and Gabe Pulver. But before we dive in, uh, uh, let's hear from our sponsor.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor Atelier Lou Bijouterie in Montreal, Quebec. Atelier Lou specializes in watches and custom-designed jewelry, along with a curated selection of designer jewelry. Visit us online or in person, and Eric Goldberg will help make your jewelry dreams come true. Atelier Lou is offering a promo code for all Bonjour High listeners using BON18 at checkout for 10% off your order at atelierlou.com.
0: It's that time again when people all of a sudden become experts and pundits in sports that would be niche and arcane otherwise. Yes, the Olympics. And here to help us unpack all that delicious Olympic Jewiness are the menschwarmers
1: themselves, Jamie
0: Hirsch and Gabe Pulver. Welcome to the program. Thanks for
2: it's having me. It's lovely to be here. We're immediately talking over each other. You guys might want to get used to that. We're all
1: Jews here. We understand. That's
0: okay. Don't worry about it.
2: We it's nice to be other. with the, yeah. uh, the podcast network
3: uh, Mishpucha. Yeah. as we were totally. talking before the recording. Finally, a crossover episode.
1: So fun. Yeah.
3: And and what did you want you you said you wanted our opinions on on who who should be allowed to pray at the Temple Mount. Is that is that what you said? That's what you're having us on?
0: No, it's a we this is a 45 minutes on the Green Party
2: okay. and uh Okay.
3: Great. We have takes. Oh yeah. I got Noah Zatzman stories that will last a year.
0: So I know you guys did an episode on um, on on fencing as the most Jewish sport um, of them all and we'll get to that I'm sure uh later on. Here's my take. I actually think that the Olympics are the least Jewish sport imaginable um, because of its history um with Hellenism and the Greeks and the whole Hanukkah story. Um, and as such, maybe as Jews, we should just, you know,
3: walk away from the Olympics. That's a bold statement. I, I think that's a that's a I think that's a perfectly good take. I think any uh, anti-Olympics take is like fundamentally correct uh, until it happens. Like the Olympics are these like the the worst thing ever. They're terribly corrupt. If anything else was like this, we like you know no one would support it. I mean it's like all the worst things about the UN uh, writ large. You know the worst things of any sort of international cooperation. But then when it starts, something something magical happens. I I think it's called cognitive dissonance, where you just put all those things aside and you focus on the sports and what's going on, and it's just amazing. And it's it's amazing to watch these individuals compete and perform and succeed and. You know, it, it, it just it gets me every time that it's just like these people have trained their whole lives to this. It's such a singular accomplishment, you know, to be on such a stage. And especially for the uh, the more freak sports that are that are out there. It's like nobody watches them, uh, you know, you know, for Kevin Durant or something like that. This isn't the, the pinnacle of his career. But for someone competing in uh, in, you know, lightweight skulls, the, winning a gold is, is the greatest thing that that will ever happen. So I, I, I think the Olympics are continue to be a treat.
2: I'm going to counterpoint you on that Jamie if you don't mind. Let's uh do speaking of of Avi's uh, uh I guess Jews should self-cancel or deselect the Olympics. Uh boycott. You know, boy, I think the the early Hellenism actually doesn't even begin to tell the story. Uh the Olympics were brought back in the late 1890s by a guy named Baron Philippe de Coubertin. Um yep.
0: and his It's a street named after him in Montreal oh, where the Olympic Stadium is. There you go. Uh, I, well, you know what? It's P- and it's Pierre de Coubertin, not Philippe. P- Pierre,
2: my mistake. Well, given when that was uh, created and whichever Montreal politicians would have decided to do that, this story probably fits well. So, you know, P- Coubertin's vision of the Olympics was two things. It was supposed to show French global dominance in all of his writings. He says, I believe the French will return to our, you know, colonial and all ruling ways by winning all of these athletic competitions. And it was supposed to be a politics-free zone, which was sort of, it sort of lives by that ethos today. But at the time, he meant that they wouldn't be tolerating any minorities, women or Jews asking to participate. Oh, wow. Uh, And, you know, that sort of changed over the time. But the Olympics has sort of intentionally been a, a don't ask, don't tell type situation and a very exclusionary one for the last 130 Hmm. years
1: when did that change okay here's my caveat is that the only reason i'm here today is because they thought it would be funny to have me on the show because i do not follow sports at all i know nothing about the olympics but i did listen to your episode of menschwarmers interviewing um the the writer at hey alma and you know what it was interesting there was a few references that went over my head but that's where i'm coming from so you're gonna have to enlighten me with a lot of the things we're gonna talk about but i'm here for the for the comic relief apparently
3: that, that's a that's a great place to start. And uh, we should shout out Emily Barak, who is on our, our most recent episode of the Mentorers podcast. Um, she is doing like, I would say, the yeoman's work of figuring out who's Jewish at the Olympics. And like, I would say like, it, you know, we're am, we're amateurs at it. And she is a pro you could, because like, uh, for example, there was a swimmer who won a gold medal the other day name named Lydia Jacoby. And, you know, there was a question on Jewish Twitter and elsewhere of, oh, Jacoby, that could be, you know, like like famed Canadian uh, ca- character actor, Lou Jacoby, that, that maybe she was Jewish. And I, I, I would say I like I put my toe in the water, so to speak, of like, you know, doing the Google, checking the Instagram, stuff like that. But Emily, in her uh, JTA article about it, was like, here's an obituary I found for this woman's grandfather who had the same name as her father <laughs> and, was, and was involved in this church. Therefore, I love it. Therefore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rule not a Jew. So, uh,
2: yeah. I think if we were familiar with Emily's work, you know, before we started this podcast, we probably would have been intimidated enough not to do it.
3: <laughs> Meaning the
0: podcast in total, the, the menschwormers should not exist. That's correct cuz you know the mentorworms as a as a concept right let's look at Jews in sports is like as a podcast is the equivalent in my mind of like let's look for the non-Jewish Nobel prize winners
3: right well you know just because just because someone's statistically uh, not that not that represented doesn't mean they're not important i mean you know i we sort of joke that the whole point of the whole reason raison d'etre for the for the podcast is, uh, you know, two guys sitting around saying, is so-and-so Jewish? Or did you know that so-and-so is Jewish? And, and just like, you know, there, that is a, a, a game that Jews play, you know, in every facet of life. And, and Jewish All sports the time fans, I think, probably do it as much as anybody where it's like...
2: It's endlessly it, fascinating to do yeah. so. But, but Avi, let me level with you for a yeah. second. If you're, if you're here for this. It's a real dog bites man story. And it is every time. There's a, a, a very famous Jewish sports writer named Robert Lipsight, who once famously mm-hmm. said that every athlete takes advantage of their physical gifts, whereas Jewish athletes overcome them. <laughs> and I like it. for mm-hmm. that reason, we think it's worth talking about.
0: Oh, I, I don't disagree. I think it's great. I think it's a lot of fun. It's just, it's, it's, uh, well, didn't Airplane have a, have a joke about that? If, the guy wanted some light reading and they handed him a leaflet, great Jews in sports, you know, and
3: yeah. It's, it's it's very it's very funny. My 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 retort to you know people asking us or people pointing out there aren't that many great jewish athletes is you know to put to, to re- respond especially if the person's not jewish that you know there aren't that many jews altogether because of the holocaust so that is yeah. part of the reason here i mean we are we are we, it's one way of putting we, it well
1: got real dark real that's quick right. wow <laughs>
0: we
3: just hit the holocaust with eight minutes in um i i yeah i what's that what's that? So that that's a new record for longevity so well but i do think there's some there's some truth to that which is just that you know jews are so overrepresented in certain fields um, like Nobel Prize winners or comedy or, you know, music or, or all kinds of things that we, we, we think that Jews are not represented well in sports. But I think proportionally we probably are in, in all kinds of ways. I mean, there Jews have won MVPs, Cy Young Awards, you know, Coach of the Year Awards and all in all the professional sports and it's just sort of like there, there's not that many Jews. We've actually had an, a, a, an indelible impact on certainly on North American sports more than anything else. And and, and we're, as we're seeing at the Olympics, you know there are certain uh, sports where Israel, for example, has a very strong program um, and In Judo, no. Yeah, exactly. Judo, judo is the best example. Um, taekwondo as well.
2: I have a theory about that, and you know we can talk about talk about uh, Sandberg, who won the first judo taekwondo medal. Uh, won the first taekwondo medal for Israel. Uh, in this Olympics, but it's not surprising to me at all that your average Israeli is relatively talented at a combat sport. Fair.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. You know, like I, if, if you take a look at, at Israeli judo guy or Sassoon, who he want he was won a medal before he is likely to medal again, unless the event has already happened and he didn't know. I don't th- I think he's a heavyweight, so it's coming soon, but like that is a terrifying man. Like, he is, like, I think when, when you know, Quentin Tarantino was writing the character of the bear Jew, that's, like, the type of guy he was thinking of. And he's a big fellow. A big and fella. and you're walking down the street in Jerusalem, and you see the guy with the shawarma in one hand, the cigarette in the other, and the military fatigues, and, and like, a, a machine gun on the side of his back. Like, that guy's eventually going to become a judo Olympic medalist.
1: So you're saying that the trick is that all of us in the diaspora have to join the IDF in order to have the, the physical dexterity it needs to really compete with the rest of the world. Is that what you're saying?
2: Well, IDF people are a little terrifying. And it's not surprising that they can do anything. Have, you, have you, any of you ever seen an Israeli soldier wait in a line?
1: Yes. <laughs> That's shocking. I, I'm sure we all That have. is shocking. I think they just... Oh, wait, wait in a line? Wait, wait, wait. I need you to rephrase that. I mean, what I mean like, mean actually, like, in in
2: politely wait for something. Like Canadian oh, style. okay, that's
1: not what I thought you were like asking. Like Canadian style. No no, 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 no. I
2: mean, like, actually wait no. their turn for literally anything, in, you know, including geopolitics.
1: Fair enough. I'd...
3: Honestly, it's been a while since I've been in Israel, but go on. It's an interesting question we should look into whether there is that overlap between, or whether there's that causation between guys going into the IDF or men or women going into the IDF and and learning a combat sport after that. I mean, you know, there's no reason why, why taekwondo or judo or karate now are in the Olympics and other martial arts aren't, except... Um, you know, just j- I, I'm, I'm an i do not without saying, speaking from a, a point of uh, expertise on this, I assume some sort of IOC corruption that like got the sports in versus others that that weren't, you know, is probably to appease somebody to get to get uh, votes for for a bid or something like that.
0: Wow, you're going, you're going full sportocrat here.
3: Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: this is actually, this is an actually an interesting piece of Jewish history. Is that a lot of the things that have been historically, you know, said about Jewish people really are true about the IOC like I think you know you you look at the shadowy cabal that runs the world and exchanges hands money is simultaneously fighting for unchecked capitalism yet socialism for the rich like that's just the IOC they're as corrupt as everyone has said we are but they're real
0: My 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 thing about the IOC this uh, Olympics and showing how they're definitively anti-Semitic is that they scheduled the Israeli uh, baseball team on to play on Shabbos. (laughs) Assuming that like Sandy Koufax style, every player was just going to walk off the field and and they would have to lose by, you know, by default.
1: Can I ask my first non-sports savvy question? I don't know what the IOC is. Oh, so the IOC
3: is the International Olympic Committee. And it's ah. just sort of like the yes, sportocrats they're called, um, a bunch of like you know, middle European and other rich country uh, delegates who sort of decide what's in the Olympic sports, who hosts the Olympics, things like that, including uh, former McGill, what was he, Chancellor Gabe, Dick, Dick Pound, Chancellor, yeah, Dick yeah. Pound, Dick Pound, Dick who, Pound. All, who also founded WADA mm. and or the World Anti-Doping Association, and um, yeah, they're just they're just like it's like the people in the capital in the Hunger Games, they're like those folks. The-
1: that reference, I understand. You Thank go. you.
2: So the IOC somehow is able to be both a for-profit but tax-exempt. You know, there are very few organizations on earth that have pulled this yeah. off, but they're one of them.
0: Which would make them full, like ripe for being a Jewish organization to manage that type of thing. <laughs> exactly. they're not.
2: They're not. But they're not. I, I'm i pretty sure, you know, they were pretty restricted to Jews up until fairly recently,
3: if I was to guess. Right.
1: Restricted yeah. to so, Jews or against Jews? Against. Sorry. Yes.
3: <laughs> so all the, all this to say, I think it supports my original point, which is that you have to accept the Olympics as this like fundamentally flawed and like terrible thing that has no defense except for the individual competitors. And it's amazing to be able to watch them and uh, see them do it, see, see them do what they do. So, you know, the Israel baseball team is another big story and, and something that we've been following literally for, for years now. It was, you know, two years ago now, um, I think in August 2019, that Israel won this... Uh, Europe slash Africa qualifying tournament in order to make it, make the Olympics against you know baseball powerhouses like Germany and Italy. Uh, and at, well, actually they had to beat the Netherlands, who's is, who's is surprisingly actually a baseball powerhouse because uh people in the Dutch Antilles play a lot of baseball. People from Curacao and Aruba. Um, but the thing is, they they won this tournament out of nowhere. They qualified for one of six Olympic spots. Sorry, really five plus Japan as the host country gets to play. And you know it's just a team of pretty much american jews there's a handful of israeli guys on the team um notably shlomo lippets who's in his 40s now but has been on the team for for years and years and it's made up you know former mlb players minor league players guys who are going to get drafted or go to college and uh i think it's just it's just an amazing thing to witness and see you know it's just a team full of jews and you know, as as much as we enjoy sports, you know, if we're lucky, we get to we get to have a Jewish player on on our team, or or you know, two Jewish players on a team, or something like that. And I think most Jews take real pride when their when their teams have that. And this is just a team full of Jews. And you know, nominally the Israeli team, or more than nominally, you know, they're all Israeli citizens now. Um, they are representing Israel, but they're also americans who are you know living in america and will continue to live in america and as much as they're developing and supporting the game in israel they are uh you know there are a jewish baseball team i think more than anything else
2: shlomo Lippitz is actually a great story because he has a day job uh he is the uh artist booker for a music venue in new york city like a very famous one and he you know is he'll call up i don't know let's let's think of some mid-tier jewish jacob dylan he'll call up jacob dylan and be like hey we got a gig for you if you want it at the city winery in new york city would you like to come play and then he'll hang up the phone and then put on his jersey and then like go close a game in brooklyn for team israel
0: it's interesting you bring up this confluence of israel and jewish right um because we see this happen a lot and um most notably for example this week um there was a, a a former iranian wrestler who um defected to Mongolia so that he can play there under their team and then dedicated he won a medal and he dedicated his medal to Israel um, because of um, an incident that had happened in the previous Olympics um, and how you know Iranians were not allowed to play against is- Israelis and, and and that happens all the time um, and so people clearly at this point play for whichever country they manage to figure something out with or for or however um, but the Jews gravitate towards Israel right and so you have this israeli team which is pretty much all jews are there non-jews on the israeli team no um there aren't not on the baseball no. team not on the baseball team and then the, no i mean in, in, in just yeah, the Israeli. sorry uh, yes there are non-jews
3: on the israeli olympics
0: but primarily it's jews and then you have the jews scattered elsewhere yeah. right throughout wherever this is um and so it's like you know you were talking about the bringing in the or the the eliminating of politics and and countries versus you know people and Russia now is this year you know they're not really there but they are there and everybody knows that they're that's the Russian team even though they're not called the Russian team it, it's a little strange to think about that in especially in the context of the Jews and in, in in the Olympics versus is Team Israel so to speak right. so there's
2: really. It's interesting you bring that up. There's really only like five countries that ever send Jews to the Olympics, mostly because there are like five countries that allow Jews to live there. But, you know, I, when we look at all of the Jewish athletes all over the world that we've talked about, that Emily has talked about in her work, you know, you've got Canada and the U.S. probably being the primary drivers of, of Jews in the Olympics, uh, the U.K. and Australia as well, countries where Jews are full-fledged members of society, and Russia and Israel. And that's really about it. Uh, You know, I don't think there are that many Dutch or Chinese or German Jews that are still, you know, that are actually making the Olympics. It's it's all from countries that have really strong Jewish communities. So I think as a Jewish sports fan, if you're looking to default cheer for as many Jews as you possibly can, Israel's the easiest one to go to instead of just saying, oh, here's one Russian gymnast I like. We're, I mean, you can say that we're doing it. Uh, I'm happy to talk about her, but... Uh, israel is a pretty safe bet if you're looking to figure out who the right. jewish ones are
3: yeah i i also think it's it's a pretty um you know the issue the issue of politics is a, is a tricky one the the idea of apolitical sports is is uh is has always been a a fantasy there's a, there's something political to all these things there always has been the olympics have been political since since their inception um but i guess for let's say uh, north american jews who want to support israel Uh, but may not agree with every single thing that Israel does uh, in other contexts. It's nice to be able to just support Israeli athletes. You know, I feel like that's a pretty anodyne way of supporting Israel or uh, being proud of the fact that there's a Jewish state and being proud of the fact that there's these Jewish athletes representing Israel who are you know, competing at a high level. So in
1: terms of the, you're saying it's pretty apolitical. There's not been one incident this year at all between like any, any clash between countries in that way.
3: No, the opposite. I think it's, it's incredibly political. Oh. I mean, we've, we've seen, we've seen twice now um, that uh, there, there's been, a, sorry, there's been a Israeli judo competitor who has twice had opponents refuse to face him. Um, and you know, that's, because he's Israeli, because he's Jewish, however you want to uh, play it, you know, however however, you want to call yeah. that, there's a reason they're not fighting him. You know,
0: I didn't know Ben or Jerry were playing judo.
3: <laughs> Let's leave
1: ice cream out of this episode.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, j- just to put put some names to this, so Tokhar uh, Budbul is, is the judoka, that's, that's a judo competitor, um, who has who now faced an Algerian and Sudanese competitor who just pulled out of the entire Olympics rather than wow. fight them. Um, I, I guess you could say because their countries don't recognize Israel because they, they don't have normal normalized ties um, or whatever, or how, however you want to interpret it. And this isn't the first time it's happened. It happens basically at every Olympics. This happens often at international competitions. Um, it, you know, if Israel is even allowed to participate, because obviously if it's at least until recently, if there have been competitions that have been held in um, certain Muslim countries that uh, don't recognize Israel, then they haven't even necessarily been allowed to compete. Um, but this happens every time. So this guy's made, made it through to the round of 16 now. I think. Uh, the, to, sorry, the the judoka Tohar has made it through the round of 16. Now. I think
2: he has lost to a Canadian, as a matter of fact. And
3: now he's lost to a Canadian. So maybe he was he was you know he didn't get the benefit of having some warm up right. matches uh, against these lesser opponents. But you know, there's always politics in this. Um, you know, it hasn't really come up with the Israel baseball team this time, but last time at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, there were I can't remember where the reporter from was from, but either from Mexico or, or another Spanish-speaking country. But sort of decried the Israeli teams as just like the American B team because it was all American American Jews who comprised the team. And it's like on the one hand, like that, that is true. Like these guys, you know, aside from Ian Kinsler on the Israeli team this year, none of these guys could have competed for the U.S. at an international level. You know, at the highest level. Like Ian Kinsler was an all-star multiple times, and, and obviously is an American. And, and some of the best Jews in the world are playing in major league baseball and can't play but on the other hand it is sort of this continued charge of dual loyalties for, for these for these people and you know there's a political component to it uh there's always going to be a political right. component to these things uh and and that's just uh, you know i guess that's just the nature of the beast i mean there's a political component to eurovision uh when when israel competes right? totally
1: so that's interesting to me. It feels like it's almost the Olympics is a metaphor for like many, many other things. Even talking about Jews, it's like Jews in sports. You were saying, you know, if it's much easier to just root for Israel because there's going to be majority Jews and then we're all scattered around. Like that's a pretty, you know, good metaphor for just diaspora in general. But I'm just curious, like as someone who has no interest in sports for the most part, like what is it that attracts you to watching these big games? Because, you know, so many people who don't normally watch sports games do watch the Olympics. So is it more about like the people and like rooting for your people or kind of the behind the scenes, like the talk- stuff we're talking about with politics? And I was talking to someone yesterday who is explaining how, you know, there's all this stuff going on this year where um, like a gymnast came forward about like an assault and then someone else came and talked about like mental health and there's all that kind of stuff going on. Like, do people like it for like the whole package or is it really just like another sports thing and they're more interested in the competition? Do you think
2: I have a theory about this and maybe Go it's a bit it. of a crackpot theory, but the Olympics compared to, I think a lot of the sports we have from a journalistic perspective has a ton of downtime. It runs basically 24 hours a day and there's some breaks between, you know, uh, competition And, you know, you've got 50 athletes competing for three medals. So it allows journalists, producers and writers to take that time to really bring like a fulsome whole broadcast experience that has a lot of storytelling in it that you don't often see in in other sports. So you're probably going to learn a lot more about some random Olympians personal life that they'll start from the very beginning and say, oh, they've got a brother who has so and so condition and they're you know, if involved with this charity and then they might win a bronze medal, but even if they come in fourth, it's an enormous moral victory, which is a lot more storytelling opportunity than you're getting on the broadcast with, you know, I uh, to, to just because we are, you know, the Habs went very far in the playoffs to like learn about Josh Anderson's dad.
1: Right. And does it, does it feel like they're pushing for, I, honestly, the, what just came into my head was like American Idol, how like they show all the backstory and then you're trying to root, like, are they trying to dramatize Absolutely. it or is it like, I think
2: completely they're Easter? trying to dramatize it.
3: Yeah. The the Olympics are a great TV show. Yeah, I, And these people have
0: lives. They have stories as opposed to Kyrie Irving, whose life is basketball. <laughs> yes. Right. That's, or like, that's true. You I know, mean, as you were saying, if you're doing, um, you know, canoe slalom, which, you know, okay, sure, that's your thing. Um, you have to have a life outside of that. And so when you're featured in the Olympics, it's going to be like, okay, great. Who is this person? Oh, absolutely. It's, it, you'd be shocked at the number of
2: Olympians that still have day jobs, especially the ones that are in sports that are so specialized. Um, you know, you've got a hammer thrower or a weightlifter who you know, happens to be really freaking good at the gym when they go to and from their job at a bank. You know, it's it's sort of actually like the CFL in that way. I don't know if you guys ever talk or watch the CFL, but they tend to tell, do a lot of storytelling in the same way. Um, mostly because the I think a lot of the and this a lot of the broadcasting and a lot of the storytelling and this actually probably fits into a lot of the reasons we like cheering for Jews. Is like this. It's it's a little closer than Major League Baseball or the NHL is to this. Could be you. Or this could be someone you know, because they're a regular person that happens to be really mm. amazing at this one really specialized thing. Like, uh, you know, a great big story was that recently was that Iranian nurse um, who, you know, uh, was a, a combat zone nurse that has been fighting with the Revolutionary Guard in a bunch of various places. Depending on how much you believe the Iranian officials account, you know, he's, an, he's a nurse in war zones who happens to be a really amazing sniper. Maybe he's only a nurse, but it's a really cool story if he is. So that's why they're telling it all over the world.
1: Right. I mean, that sounds much more interesting to me than watching the sports themselves. I don't know. Maybe I could get into it that way. But it just makes me... I I think a lot of people do. Well, there you go. It just makes me think a bit about my own industry and the entertainment industry. And like, you would be so shocked to know how many people that you think are so famous that are struggling in between work. So it's, it's a similar thing of, like, that pressure that you feel to, you know, when the whole world is watching you, I would imagine as an athlete, as it would be to be, like, a famous actor.
2: Yeah. I, I've heard Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds won't eat at a restaurant. Only only makes his own dinners.
1: There you go. You have to keep yourself
2: That, that was a joke.
0: That was a joke. Uh, <laughs> I rolled with okay. it. I. Uh, I, um, I, I... You see, and I'm about to intellectualize sport, which is the, probably the most Jewish thing one can do. Um, and to me, the, the, the only difference between, you know, filmed entertainment, for lack of a better term, or written entertainment or anything like that, and sport, is that sport is entertainment for which we do not know the ending, right? Nobody knows the ending, right? And and so the possibility for a dramatic, un, you know, story to unfold as it's happening um, is is what is the allure of sports for certain people. And other people would prefer to know that somebody else, you know, spent hours and years um, of their life perfecting this piece of art for me because I want that ending to be perfect and I want this to happen and something is always going to happen. But then somebody always will have known or that, that has been quote unquote, literally scripted. Whereas with sport, sport is unscripted right we can have the israel basket a baseball team win a gold medal and it'll like they'll make a cool running style movie out of it and uh you know it'll be fun but but we won't know until we know it's
2: it's true i mean there's actually if you go back into the you know archives of our podcast they made a documentary about team israel baseball cinderella run before which is really really good um but i I look forward i
3: look forward to the dramatized uh story of team israel's baseball baseball team uh, at the Olympics, uh, instead
0: of the Jamaican accents, you'll have the Israeli
3: accents. Yes, and I, jokes I, I, I look forward. I look forward to the
0: entire, entirely on the general bat cast. instead of pine
2: tar. Exactly. No, I think instead of John Candy, you'd have Adam Sandler doing Zohan playing the coach.
0: Absolutely. Yes, that's the hummus reference. Like on the pine, instead of pine tar, you'll have He's like, exactly you
2: know. doing the bat with hummus. It's actually funny you say that. I'm by total coincidence wearing a T-shirt that is uh, of Lance Armstrong, who is you know perhaps like the biggest story arc. I think probably in our lifetime in sports, he went from being, you know, a, a somebody nobody had heard of to the most famous athlete in the world who participated in a sport that nobody watches. Um, the first and,
3: man to bicycle on the moon.
2: Yeah, the first guy to bike on the moon. Exactly. Um, and and now that uh, uh, it turns out that Buzz Aldrin did steroids or, or something or other. But, you know, he's gone through the arc of like the total, you know, uh, Obscurity. He won an Olympic medal. He won all those awards or won all those tours, had cancer, was a survivor. And then it was all sort of taken, not taken away. It was all sort of revealed to be at least to some degree a lie. You know, that's your whole story. The cycling is like totally secondary to all of
3: that. Right. Yeah. That he was
2: actually really good at the biking. That's like way less interesting
3: yeah it's true and and i would say the the olympics especially have a narrative for for most people i think it, it's unfortunately a very nationalistic one but you can root for the people from your country you can root for the people you share some similarities with in, in one way or another and you can root against the the evil russians or uh whatever other country you decide is evil this time around um and, the evil russian olympic
2: committee yes i believe the they are russian, this time russian
3: around yeah. <laughs> which, which itself is such a is such a funny thing but uh You know, at the same time, you know, it's a good example of this where it's like, you know, Russia has been sanctioned for these terrible, terrible doping schemes that they've run uh, in in a, you know, really organized fashion. And it's like, well, we should ban them from the Olympics, but I think people's feeling as well. But the individual athletes who are around now had nothing to do with that. They need to perform, they need to have their chance, you know, (laughs) I I think this is it really is the, the greatest unscripted. Uh, television there is because most of it's individual like most of it's just these individuals striving and trying to achieve and as as avi said we don't know the ending and we don't we don't know how it's going to go along the way we have some familiar sports narratives but the end of the day anyone can win anything can happen you know there was a a a tunisian swimmer who won a one of the a gold medal the other day that came out of nowhere he was starting in eighth place going into the finals from a country that you know doesn't have a swimming program do in the they have a the pool country. exactly do yeah, they have a swimming pool a, a few but it's like a uh, olympic-sized swimming pools i think they might just have one and it's just like that can happen every year that every year the olympics that happens uh, a filipino wo- woman won the country's first gold medal you know philippines is a country with more than 100 million people living in it. it's competed at every olympics for the last 100 years um and they never won a gold medal similarly uh, a woman from bermuda just won the the triathlon the other day bermuda's got less than a hundred thousand people they'd never won a gold medal and they just won their first one so you know this is the kind of i'm sure there'll be there'll be streets or whatever they have in bermuda golf courses and and uh and, and pyramid shaped <laughs> resorts roofs named after this woman but you know it's just uh yeah. it's an amazing you know it's a microcosm for human life it's it's, it's all that that they sell to us and and unfortunately, unfortunately it's it's all true they they sell it so well and they package it so well and it's fascinating for anyone, even even the sports are almost secondary.
0: So, uh, as we wrap up, um, maybe we can circle back to that thing that we started at the beginning with the idea of uh, fencing as a an incredibly Jewish sport. Can you give us the quick summary of that? And uh, have Jews ever won uh, medals in fencing? And what are our chances this uh, this go round? So there's an extremely famous story. There's been a few of them. but please do not make any jokes about fencing being Jewish because of um, circumcising flies or anything like that.
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) uh, uh, of course, that's an old one. That's an an old one. Um, I think it's mostly Jewish uh, because it's sort of a back and forth, and then it ends with a big yelling, with a lot of Uh, yelling. But uh, probably the most famous uh, fencing story and the most famous Jewish Olympian story is of Helen Meyer, who unfortunately was, well, not sort of, unfortunately. It's an unfortunate story. We'll go there. Anyway, she was the best fencer in Germany throughout the 1930s, and she was Jewish, and she was not particularly shy about being Jewish. And this presented Adolf Hitler with one of his famous dilemmas, where there was a, a Jewish athlete who was likely to win a gold medal. He wanted to show German supremacy. She was uh, uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, but of Jewish ancestry and proudly Jewish. She goes to the 36 Olympics and wins the gold medal in fencing. She crushed the competition, everything that's expected, and to the horror of Jews all over the world that knew what was going on, on top of the podium, she turned and gave Hitler the whole Sig Heil thing. Um, immediately after, she her family was killed in the Holocaust, and she moved to the United States and died alone. After winning the gold medal, the... There are a lot of there's a lot of debate over what happened with the story. And I think she sort of leaned into the her family was threatened narrative um, or else she wouldn't do it. But there's that's a very, you know, a, a dramatic Jewish compromise story, um, at least about, you know, that time in Germany and, and, and Jewish fencing. But on a lighter note, um, fencing came to America from a bunch of Jewish, uh, you know, anti-Bolsheviks that came over in the 1800s. Uh, from Russia and, you know, were trained in fencing. So they opened fencing schools in America. You can listen to that whole story on our podcast episode about the history of Jewish fencing.
3: Yeah, and, and I mean, just to answer your question, there have been a number of Jews who won have won gold medals in fencing, probably more than any other sport. Really, it was pre-war um, that Jews just dominated fencing throughout Hungary, France, Germany, Belgium. Um, what one person in particular to highlight from, from that crowd is Attila Petschauer, um, who is a, a Budapest Jew, uh, who won gold medals b- both in 28 and 32 in the sa- in the in the team saber? He was the inspiration for Ray Fiennes' character in the movie Sunshine, um, a 1999. I was worried
2: you were going to say in Schindler's List.
3: Yeah, (laughs) Ray Fiennes goes goes from playing maybe like the worst filmed portrayal of a Nazi in terms of his like barbarity um, or barbarism in Schindler's List to just playing like an assimilated generations of assimilated Jews in the in the '99 film Sunshine. So. Um, one of the characters he plays in that movie is based on, uh, at least in part, Attila Petchauer as a sort of Jewish fencer, you know, assimilated European guy. And Attila Petschauer, you know, died in the Holocaust in, in 43 um, in sort of like a whole gener- generations of Jewish fencers who, who perished in the Holocaust or lost the best years of competition because of, because of uh, uh, the, the rise of the Nazi Party and, and domination of, of Eastern Europe. You should know so, that, uh, yes.
0: Alana, you are moving away from one of the most glorious Jufros in Canadian Jewish sport history in, in Ellie Schenkel. Um, and and uh, the Vancouver... <laughs> it was <laughs>
2: remarkable.
3: Yeah. It's amazing he can get it under the fencing helmet. I keep thinking it's that
0: like... it's like uh, in, in... What's his name? In football that has the uh, the, the hair... Uh, the, the long, long hair come out of the uh, back. Troy Polamolo. Troy, yeah, exactly. That, uh, that it would like... Have some sort of effect like that in fencing, um, but uh, the fencing helmet. But apparently he tucks it Can't in. Definitely
3: some to look. But I guess I would say like I, I don't know that there's so many people doing it in Canada aside from from Ellie uh, out in out in Richmond. But uh, Jews get into fencing. It's our it's our heritage. So
0: I took I took a semester of fencing, and I think the cost right is so prohibitive in terms of buying the equipment that you have to do to not die right <laughs> are they sharp um
2: like are they are they the fencers like actually no but they they are not
0: sharp. not sharp they're not sharp they're actually because they are uh, the the way that the the scoring system works is that um they, they're pressure sensitive at the tip so that you, if you move yeah. it back a little bit, you, that's when the buzzing happens and stuff like that. But um, if you actually, even with a blunt tip, you can you can really, if you're not, if they weren't wearing those Kevlar um, outfits, you can go right through somebody no matter how blunt, because they are they are pushing forward with so, such force. Um, uh, hmm. Yeah, jews and blades. This is what. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, is that well? You made the circumcising fly joke, but I wonder if there's ever been a fencil, did, fencer slash moil just because they really liked slicing. There you go.
0: Um. Yeah. You know. Because. Because otherwise, like, there are no other Jewish Jewish sports, right?
3: Right. I. I, I so I'm, we've actually talked if, about if there this. was
0: an Olympic sport in like long distance wandering. Yeah. Right? You I, you I think. Win. I think chess. chess <laughs> the forty <is>, year marathon. <laughs>
3: chess is is depending on your opinion a sport or not, but Jews have definitely dominated chess for for. Generations. I mean, we're not the only people to be successful in it, but there have been some real Jewish uh, chess uh, chess grandmasters. Um, besides that, Gary
2: Kasparov is is an Azerbaijani Jew. Yeah, or at least of, of, of which there are not very many. Of. Um,
3: aside from that, yeah, I agree. I mean, judo is probably probably one that's that's big. Um, I, I don't know that there's other ones necessarily. I mean, but these things are cyclical. Well, there's you know?
0: a long. Yeah, but judo is not a particularly Jewish thing. That's what I'm trying to say. That there's very little that that is particularly Jewish I don't in terms of sport thinking of us. I don't sports.
2: mean to get all all Richard Florida on you guys, but you know, if you go back into urbanism of the twenty first century, you see a lot of inner city Jews that really, you know, popularized boxing and basketball. Which were the two sports that were really most popular in in inner cities
0: in I mean, early twenty early twentieth
2: century. century? Yes, I'm sorry, early twenty first century. I think the most popular Jewish sport was probably being Drake, but in the early in the early twentieth century, you see a lot of Jewish people um, participating in in boxing and in basketball there's a a great story about boxing world champion barney ross which i think is the most jewish sports story ever is that he was ashamed to tell his mom that he was a boxer for a living because she wouldn't approve and then she found out when he became champion of the world
3: yeah and and i i I think that, that just ties into what I what I was going to say about, you know, these things tend to be cyclical. You know, there was a time when Jews and the Irish were the best boxers in the world. And physically, I don't think either of us are, are dominating from a genetic standpoint mm-hmm. or anything like that. And um, it, it was, was all the kugel. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes these things are, are like environmental, like there's <laughs> so- there's Kenyan uh, runners from certain parts of Kenya who are just you know head and shoulders above anybody else Mm -hmm. in the world but for the most part it's just sort of socialized uh in terms of who's doing it what what sorts of people are doing these things like i don't think the dutch are are preternaturally good at speed skating but they have a real program for it and a real zen for a real yen for it so they do it um so i think you know we'll see the same things from time to time and uh, something like fencing can come back up you know if it's something that's uh, takes a certain amount of effort to get into, then the people who are doing it will be involved in in it through certain clubs. And if there's enough clubs that are Jewish, if there's people getting into it, you know, you can just have a resurgence of among a certain group that do, mm-hmm. that does something. Well, I
2: think you guys have hit on something, and that's really the the theory behind this round of funding and promotion for israel baseball is that somebody in israel has decided that they want to get kids into baseball therefore they are now trying to have an israeli baseball team
0: a lot of that is uh, jeff ader in chicago who's a friend of mine and uh has done a lot of funding for that he loves baseball um loves israel and he decided that like this is this is a way to like push things forward
3: Um, oh absolutely and 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 i think it's right for the picking because um first of all baseball does have a history of just sort of colonizing certain countries um for lack of a better word i mean it's not like japan was playing baseball more than 60 70 or maybe 80 years ago or so cuba as well mm-hmm. you know among the best countries in the world so japan korea taiwan um have all sort of glommed onto baseball and for israel where soccer is you know naturally a, a popular sport like it is in most in the world and uh, basketball is probably the second most popular sport there there isn't necessarily another one that's competing for everyone's attention um in terms of a team sport and baseball is obviously the best sport of all of them uh so there's no reason why we can't see it thrive in in israel as well it's got the climate for it you can play it you can play it 12 seasons a year 12, 12 months a year. a year that's israel <laughs>
2: well i think in israel it's 13 or maybe 14 months a year depending on the year <laughs>
3: That's
0: right. Jamie, Gabe, thank you so much. Um, this has been great. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for helping us see through um, the idea of Jews in the Olympics, the idea of Jews in sports in general. Um, and I hope that everybody, all our listeners should catch uh, you guys on your own Menschwarmers podcast on the CGN Podcast Network. Um, and so thanks again for being here. And uh, we'll catch you hopefully uh, soon when there's other uh, Jewish stories about, you know, sports to catch. It's It's been pleasure. a true pleasure the um, sports
2: well where i'm happy to be to come back anytime alex bregman stars in a movie with alana um we'd love to hear all of the stories from you
0: Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for Thursday, July 29th. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Technical production is by Andre Goulet. Our music is by So Called. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a comment and a rating on the platform of your choice and let us know what you think about our discussions on the CJN Lounge on Facebook. I'm Avi Feingold.
1: And I'm Ilana Zakon.